Today in the Topping Show, Tucker Carlson criticizes Fox News in a leaked video. Bud Light sellers refuse to reorder. Yaling beer goes viral. Even Costco can't sell Bud Light. The government is unaware of where EV components come from. Ford is saved by gasoline engines. Hollywood writers go on strike. Toyota saves the stiff shift. And Tuesday morning goes bankrupt, this time for good. All of that and much, much more on The Topping Show. Thank you for tuning in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. If you're a business owner or an IT leader, use a little assistance. You can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Gotta say, I see their owner at least twice a day. You have to say, he's quite handsome and brilliant. That's the joke. It's it's me. Nevertheless, if you need a little assistance, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going into the business part of the podcast, you had Ford announce their Q1 results. And for the EV part, they were lackluster to say the least. The EV part of the company, that lost them about $700 million, I believe one of the reports are saying. And actually $722 million to be specific. Now, that was for EVs. Now, thankfully, one of the most profitable things and perhaps most successful things in terms of the company's history is the F-150 pickup truck. Not the Lightning, which is going viral, or Lightning. I'm sure this type of metaphor you go with, but there's a lot of folks that are having the Ford Lightning, the EV truck, run out of steam or electricity on the highways. And there's a really viral video of someone that has a gas generator in the bed of the truck, and that's turned on and has an extension cord going from there. And then, of course, it has a plug, and it's plugging itself back in, so it's trying to charge itself to try to remediate that situation when it goes kaput. Now, thankfully, Ford Blue, now Ford Blue is the internal combustion engine, the traditional part of the company. That was the only reason they astonished Wall Street. Now, their Q1 overall sales were $41.5 billion, which is especially good because it was about 20% increase going from Q1 in 2022. And even better for Ford, Wall Street only estimated they're going to hit $36.1 billion in revenue Q1. And if you're publicly traded, one of the most important things you need to do is it constantly knock the stocks off of Wall Street since their boat of confidence is why many people buy their stock, those recommendations, all those sites, all those analysts, and to go above and beyond always signals good things for the company. Now, this is also in light of the Mustang EMOC, the bastardized cousin of the Mustang. It's not a real Mustang. It's the EV SUV hybrid, that, or not hybrid, EV crossover. It's kind of like an SUV, kind of like car Omega-meshed, crushed into one, but they had a price cut of that model by about $4,000, and this is in light of demand dropping 20% Q1. Now, Ford only sold about 12,000 EVs Q1. This is partially because they had to shut down the production line for the F-150 Lightning because of the explosive batteries or electric or super lightning batteries. Again, it's a bug now feature, but they had to shut down production for multiple weeks for that one particular model. And of those 12,000 EVs they sold Q1, they claim they lost $58,333 for each one. Now, of course, there's a huge investment when it comes to the infrastructure to put those vehicles together in terms of not only the research and development, but you have the physical assembly of the product. So that's a huge upfront investment to put all those facilities together. 
they are claiming they're going to make billions of dollars in profit by Q4 when it comes to the EV model and the EV branch division of the company. However, right now, the only reason they are afloat and the only reason they're doing exceptionally well physically and physically as they physically push more units off the lot and sell them is because of the internal combustion engine. So time will tell how long it will truly take for the EVs to become profitable and then what kind of volume it will take of units for them to start competing with the Teslas of the world. Now, other interesting businesses, you have Hollywood, the Strikers, or rather the writers have gone on strike. This specific union is called the Writers Guild, which sounds a lot fancier than it is. It's because it has the word guild in it. Granted, the writers, they want to sound particularly suave or suave, however you want to call themselves. Now, they claim it's their first strike in 15 years and it's because of the breakdown in negotiation between the traditional Hollywood studios as well as the streaming platforms. And because most comedy is so unoriginal and bland these days when it comes to traditional media, they noted that Jimmy Kimmel was hit the hardest when it comes to having a lack of writing staff, which is not surprising since I would say probably the most complicated or intricate writing he could do would perhaps be his signature. Anything equivalent or above that is above his repertoire or an intellect, I would say. He's mostly known for being a virtue signaling Hollywood elitist who is Famously anti-gun, of course, but it is especially ironic when most Hollywood has private armed security with arms to rival the nation-state. But they just don't want you to have that ability to defend yourself. Nevertheless, he's known for using the, that method of attacking the Second Amendment, also using emotional rhetoric to say, if you don't agree with me, you want the kids to die, which is a morally vacuous position to, say, to take, to say the least. Illogical. And of course... It's again, it's the ultimate bullying tactic. If you don't agree with me, you're heartless, which hopefully enough Americans are thinking are waking up to and that fact that it's just a completely useless argument. And that just because you have a different methodology of how you think you get a superior result doesn't mean you don't care. Although that's a cliche argument they make a hundred times a week. Now, of course, you also have comment comedian, quote unquote, Jimmy Fallon falling flat on his face with his lack of writers as well. It's no surprise they do very few original content themselves, and most of them are just a copy-paste. It seems to be about the same personality, the same mediocre jokes. But who knows? Maybe people will wake up and stop watching them? Time shall tell. Now, good business news. Perhaps the best of the year, some might say. One of the best automotive companies in history, Toyota, is keeping the stiff shift alive, as intended. Now... This is especially fascinating because back in the day, every truck was a stick shift. It's also an affordable vehicle. Times have surely changed. Ironically enough, it used to be designed as a farm equipment. They were cheaper than cars when they first debuted to the public to the mass public market. Now we have trucks going for you know forty, fifty, sixty, a hundred, hundred, ten plus thousand dollars. And of course, they're all slow, automatic and usually more luxury than function, most would say. Now, Toyota, combating that trend, they're gonna keep the stick shift alive via the Toyota Tacoma. So they did a little sneak peek for their new model, or the rather upgraded model, or refresh. And they had a nice picture that had all three pedals. Of the folks in the audience who have never driven a stick shift, I implore you, it is one of the best experiences you could have in your life. The third pedal is key to success in life, some might say. But it's an especially contrast because 
It's the only truck in North America that has a stick shift now. Everyone else has acquiesced to the borings, rudimentary automatic transmission, which is as lackluster and unexciting as driving a Prius on a track. So you, I'm sure you could, but come on. I mean, actually, no, you couldn't because most tracks have fire control that doesn't have handle, can't handle lithium batteries. Perhaps not the most realistic analogy, but nonetheless, you should get my point. Now, some are arguing, there's a very hot debate in the modern community, if the Jeep Gladiator technically qualifies as a truck, in which case you would have two vehicles in North America, they could still buy the stick shed for trucks. It's a long, long debate, to which I say, no, it's not a truck, it's a Jeep. It's a Gladiator, it's a Jeep that has a little baby bed of a pickup. You can't tow worth a damn if you talk to most automotive experts or people that can read the brochure. And it's not large enough. It's, it's basically a bastardized Jeep, which aesthetically it does look cool. And as long as you care more about looks over function and you don't need a truck, it's a fun vehicle to have, some might say. But nevertheless, I contend that there's one truck now being made on the market. It's a Toyota Tacoma with a stick shift. Now, unfortunately, I don't think you can get the V8 anymore. The Tacoma historically has been the V6, so it's not a huge truck. But to have that option still on the market, and Toyota internally developing the stick shift for the Supra when the engine came from BMW in North America, BMW didn't have a stick shift for that engine drivetrain or that the mating between the engine transmission. This might be the opposite of a business blunder of the day. This is the the business bliss. It's great business news. And Toyota continues to knock it out of the park, and with their internal combustion engines lasting about a million miles if you treat them right, they continue to be the best return on investment since, I'm trying to think of anything that's better, maybe a Glock? I'm trying to think of things nowadays that you could buy that never break. Maybe a Benchmade knife, too? Nevertheless, cheers to Toyota for helping out the automotive community, the enthusiasts who continue to appreciate that third pedal and really enjoy the experience of driving. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, one of the most popular topics that kind of like beating a you can't beat a dead horse, some might say, although this, in this case, is quite a large, inept Clydesdale. Now, Bud Light sellers are refusing to buy more inventory. So think of bars, grocery stores, many of the places that consumers or end users go to purchase the product. They see the writing on the walls, on oh, this case, is just right bold font in front of their faces of the sales figures continuing to plummet beyond all belief. So venues are losing millions of dollars. You have distributors losing millions of dollars. Think about any ballpark, football park, football stadium, baseball stadium. One of the biggest profit drivers for those entities are alcoholic sales. In terms of the profit margins of out, the amount of profit per ounce is astronomical and the container that you get is like a three cent plastic cup. So it's brilliantly profitable. Consumers usually enjoy it. Unfortunately, the downside of those venues is a lot of them have exclusivity contracts. I remember when I went to college, I first started to notice more and more things about those business worlds in that case. And the stadium that we go to, you can only get ever get one soda. That's why if you go to McDonald's, you only get Coca-Cola products. You're not going to see a Pepsi because they're major competitors. Now, these stadiums, if they only have one option and people are still refusing to buy it, that's even worse news. And you have the distributors who, Lord knows, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place because they didn't have the business blunder that Bud Light did with their endorsement, but 
they represent the brand and the product, and in some cases, even wear Bud Light uniforms. You see this with Frito-Lay, although those are direct employees, when they go to stores like Walmart where you have those employees on the shelves. Similarly, you'll have Anheuser-Busch employees and distributors who are extended members of their team, some might say, but they're representing the brand. They're not controlling the marketing. They didn't make the shots, but they're still getting stuck in between, and they're, I'm guessing most of them are gonna pivot their brands to, or their distribution channels to perhaps more profitable and more intelligent beer companies that do not play in politics. Now, interestingly enough, you continue to see the direct inverse of sales loss and gain. So Bud Light, their off-prem sales dropped through um, April 22nd. They were down 26.1%. Now contrast that Coors Light was up 13.3% and Miller Light was up 13.6%. So not only are people switching brands, but actually they're actually drinking more of those brands. Astonishingly enough. And it was all because of a gal in marketing who thought it'd be a brilliant idea to alienate 90% or whatever percent of their consumer base was to try to go after a new audience, which I have yet, let me know in the comments, I've yet to read a single report of increased sales, even in San Francisco or any other area politically that would traditionally support this, probably because they drink other things already. Again, show me a single sales chart of an increase for Bud Light and I'll be astonished. Now, contrast that with more fun culture news, you have Yaling winning, winning the brewing war, or perhaps a business blunder war, but like, can't think of a better metaphor, dropping the ball, the horse falling down. Nevertheless, so Yaling's the oldest brewery in America. They were established in 1829 as Eagle Brewery, so it's about 191 years old, and they just went viral marketing-wise, and their sales will subsequently go up as well. Now, they're, they claim to be the largest craft brewery they're headquartered over in Pennsylvania, still family-owned, which is astonishing. Like many family-owned businesses, you'll have the son buy it from the father or what have you like that. So some might say, you know, it's sold down from parent. So it's great to see that it's still family-owned after all these years. It's very rare in business. It's, it's sad. I just finished reading, what was Bruce's book called? The Discount Tire Gentleman. So his book was called Six Tires, No Plan. And... It was a little sad to read that book because it's all about him founding the company years ago over in Michigan. And since then, he, unfortunately, he has passed, but it's a spoiler alert, but Discount Tyler is no longer family owned. They still provide an exceptional service. So part of his dream is still alive, but you always kind of wonder, could it be better? Has, has quality go down a little bit? But nevertheless, for Yaling to be in business for so long, it's an amazing achievement. And they went viral for on social media for having three simple words printed on their box of beer. Well, box holding beer cans. You know what they are. But just three words. Let's go USA. Those three br simple yet brilliant words caused them to just immediately go viral as people actually believe that brand. I mean, you have the contrast of Anheuser-Busch, Bud Light, they released all these cliche ads where they're praising America. They even mentioned 9-11, perhaps one of the most rudimentary marketing techniques. So it's like they brushed off an old book of how do we get out of trouble and just copy paste patriotic advertisement. Or maybe they use ChatGDP and just said Patriot Advertising Beer. It'd be about as original or maybe even actually more effective than what they did. But Yaling 
they don't really talk about their politics too much. I believe Trump endorsed them a couple years back and they have donated to the Republican Party, but the brand doesn't go out there with overtly political ads, as far as I can tell. And they're going to have some long-term success, partially because they're staying out of mainstream politics. They're not talking about certain initiatives, bills, like Disney is. So they're definitely doing something good. And culturally, there's been a resurgence of beer folks that are starting to chew. It's become a very politically divisive thing. And for once, it's actually having some teeth, so to say, in terms of boycott. It's becoming more and more effective and hurting Bud Light and Manhattan's Bush, a parent company, more and more and more, and including InBev with all the puppy traded stocks. But it's interesting to see culturally we're having a resurgence of more people talking about craft breweries, small mom and pop shops. I think it'd be great if more and more beer drinkers supported local breweries. There's a lot of great stuff. I know Texas is famous for Shinerbach over in Shiner, Texas, still independently, I believe still family owned. So in the comments, you feel free to correct me. But it's interesting to see. Now, interesting cultural news, going back to the Bud Light blunder, which that, that almost sounds like a free good t-shirt design, some might say. Now, Costco, one of the most successful stores in history in terms of you buy big quantities for a great price per unit, even they can't sell Bud Light. And I'm at this price point, I'm guessing it's at a loss. Now, there's a single Costco location in particular that has a 36-pack of Bud Light for $14.91. Now, translated that with the bill based basic math before the government steals, the, or I mean, sorry, taxes with inflation. That's about, or not inflation, that's another thing they did, but with sales tax. But that comes out to about 41 cents a unit, which is unprecedentedly cheap. Even there's a stat about 20 years ago, the average price for a six pack, that got the cost down to about $1.13 per can. Before That's not taking inflation into account. And granted, you do get more of economies of scale where a 36-pack is a little bit more economical than a 12-pack but or a 6-pack, but it's astonishing. Even at that dirt-cheap price, and I almost suspect it's getting close to the expiration date, so they either have to sell it or, alternatively, alternatively they have to return it to the distri distribution chain in the parent company because you can't have bad products on the shelves. Though, many would argue that the product is already bad once the minute it hits the shelf due to the quality. Some might say, but even Costco can't push that product. And historically speaking, Costco, Walmart, Sam's Club, they are the kings of pushing products. They are volume sales. Their whole business model, like McDonald's, they don't make a big profit on each thing sold, but if you make a little bit of profit over thousands of things that you sell or big quantities, that's how you can build a big business. And that's how they've been successful throughout decades. And if even they can't, they, Costco cannot push Bud Light, that surely is yet another sign that is a business blunder and not at all fiscally intelligent for them to do that marketing campaign. Can they pull out this notice dive? That is a big speculation and time shall tell if they can really turn it around. Now, going over to the politics part of the podcast, which is especially interesting because this is going to plug in right into the automotive community. You have U.S. government officials who are unaware where EV components come from, which I'm not too surprised given the intellect of most politicians. There are a handful that I do respect due to their stance on things as well as they can actually have an intellectual dialogue. But to not understand, again, I've been saying this for years, EVs are an interesting tool. Again, I don't think you should be forced to have 100% adoption 
but it is a trade-off. It's not a full fix-all solution. You have to wonder where do these where do these materials come from for the vehicle, as well as how do you charge it when you have states like California with rolling blackouts when they actually announce you can't don't do not charge your car today because we have to blackout the whole neighborhood because they don't have the infrastructure to support their current needs, yet alone future needs if you have mass adaptation of EVs. So I always tell people EVs are a fascinating technology and the battery is getting better and better and better. But again, you cannot have an overnight adaptation and there's still there's still debate on the long-term effects for the planet in terms of the chemicals needed to get lithium out of the ground and to actually process the raw materials to get the precious metals. That's a complex, pro that's a complex thing you need to handle as well as it's not good for for the actual planet and you also have how do you charge it and you also have, so it's much like many things it's much more complex but to not know anything at all is pathetic but not too astonishing so this is actually a little clip over on capitol hill where they're having a little quick discussion and this is with the uh, biden's interior chief so that's a fancy it was such a fancy outlandish bombastic name you would think you have some muscle or intelligence behind that title Actually, no, you wouldn't, but, you know, they should, maybe. Subject of the sweeping mandates related to electric vehicles that the Biden administration has imposed, including now for our military, the metals needed to make the lithium-ion batteries in those vehicles are, of course... That's not a fascinating thing. You actually have someone with the intellect to get elected, which doesn't take much these days, but there's an elected official in the U.S. government saying the U.S. military should be 100% EV by, I believe, 2030, she said? which is the dumbest idea on the planet, or at least top 10, considering where, if you know anything about the military, if you watch a, even a movie about the military, that's never going to, you're not going to have a Tesla charger over in the countries we go visit. It's the most, the best, most efficient way for fuel, I mean, fuel as a category is Gasoline, rocket fuel, diesel, transporting that liquid is extremely efficient in terms of you put it right into the vehicle and it works. I mean, there's a reason every military vehicle uses fossil fuels. You don't have solar panels on a tank. Those things weigh more pounds than you could possibly fathom. The batteries would drain in an instant. Granted, you have DARPA, which is a special division of the government dedicated to see things 50 years in the future or more, I believe, but unless they have some secret sauce we don't know about yet, this is a completely idiotic idea. Nevertheless, I digress for now. Of course, lithium, nickel, graphite, and cobalt. Now, can you tell me what nation is the largest producer of refined lithium in the world? It's not us. No, I can't. It's China. Can you tell me which nation is the largest producer of refined cobalt in the world? No, Senator. It's China. Do you know what nation is the largest exporter of natural graphite to the United States globally? No, Senator. It's China. Okay. So in all of these instances, these mandates, your decision to trade off our energy security in favor of a radical climate change agenda is making us more and more dependent on China. And at the same time, you are denying mining blocking mining blocking permits for mines in this country that would allow us to develop nickel and copper and cobalt why why block the development of these resources in our own nation in favor of making us dependent on china senator are you referring to the boundary waters 
I'm referring to the to the Twin Metals Mine in Minnesota. I think Senator Barroso is just asking about it. Yes, uh, near the Boundary Waters, which is an iconic place and, of course, um, a very valuable ecological um, system to many plants, animals, species. So, it's interesting. You can debate the pros and cons of a specific mine for the that's such a blanket statement on, I don't know where the, I don't know who produces the most of the thing we need the most to make the thing you want to put. They want to push EVs and they don't know how to make the damn things. That'd be like asking, that'd be like the CEO, I can't think of an audastic or a more audastic example than this. And China also, as soon as the US left Afghanistan, they were the first ones right back in the country making business deals for the precious materials in the country, which are quite diverse. It's one of those things where I believe it's lithium. There are a couple of precious metals in Afghanistan, which are going to help fuel the EV trend that China's going to cap capitalize on. But that's astonishing. Like they don't know, like they're passing laws that are de facto banning the gas engines because it's, they're passing laws on tailpipe pipe emissions. Now, a business or an automobile company needs to meet tailpipe emission standards and averages and fleet averages. The fleet averages the average of all of the vehicles you produce. And if you keep raising how much that tailpipe emission standards, meaning you can only produce less, 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 the only current conceivable way of the technology we could develop today to hit that is with an EV vehicle. So they're pushing that technology to be adopted. Consumers be damned, free market be damned. But they don't even know the long-term effect. Again, the ripple effect or the domino effect. Think of the big picture. Many people don't, but you're going to be directly financing and helping the country that you are a competitor with. Both many would argue ideology, ideologically, as well as economically. And it is so audacious that, oh yeah, they, I don't know where that comes from. Now, that is one of the things that the United States used to be great at. In 2019, for the first time, I think 50 years plus, they're energy independent. Again, thanks to technology. One of the biggest technological breakthroughs in the oil industry in the past couple of decades was fracking. And that allowed us, we actually exported more than we, we were net, net positive in terms of energy consumption, but we actually made more than we needed and we were exporting. And as the technology got more and more advanced and safer and safer, the side effects of the actual fracking process become safer and safer and the negative aspects decrease more and more. I'm not saying there are not any negative aspects to it, especially in the beginning, but again, it got better over time and just astonishing that now again, we are dependent globally on other countries that usually we're at war with for oil, where we could just be using the stuff right here or even more absurdly sporting countries like Venezuela, which are morally vacuous, corrupt, um, but at the same time, that's the ideology many people want to import. Interestingly enough, if you talk to anyone who's escaped communism, they sure as hell never want to go back, which is why many of my family has never left. Now, other interesting political news, you have Tucker Carlson, and this is interesting. You have a company called Media Matters, which is a nonprofit, which is funded by a lot of folks, including George Soros. And... Someone at Fox having the moral aptitude or having the moral compass due south have, or having no moral compass at all. They're recording all these and now they're leaking them. 
So this is when Tarka Carlson was not on camp. He was in the studio, but he didn't think the cameras were rolling. And funny enough, they released this thinking it was going to make Tucker Carlson look bad. Ironically, it made more people like him or respect him. Time shall tell. Let me know what you think. So this was released a couple hours ago. Let me crank that volume up for us really quick. So this is him in the studio. Watch anyway. Um, we're gonna uh, because I, 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 you know, I'm like, I, I don't want to be, a, I, I don't want to be a slave to Fox Nation, which I don't think that would be watch anyway. Um, we're gonna uh, because I, 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 you know, I'm like a representative of the American media now. Speaking to an exile in Romania and welcoming him back into the Brotherhood of Journalists. Yeah, it would help us out if you wore a sweater though, because we asked him not to wear a suit. Like he was panicking about it, so you don't have to. Tucker's gonna be looking casual. That's just how our show looks. Pause. Sweater. Is this guy Mister Rogers? Who wears a sweat? No. If anything, the only thing a man is allowed to wear is a turtleneck, and even then. It has to be specifically a tactical turtleneck in black, of course. Is that okay? I, I, I mean, this is airing on the nighttime show, and I want it to look official. I don't want it to be like bro talk. And I, and I, you know what I mean? Yeah, but the majority of it, like if we go like 45 minutes, it's going to be for Fox Nation. But nobody's going to watch it on Fox Nation. Nobody watches Fox Nation because the site sucks. So I'd really like to just put the dump the whole thing on YouTube. Um, but anyway, that's just my view. Um, uh, I'm just frustrated with, uh, in, it, it's hard to use that site. I don't know why they're not fixing it. It's driving me insane. And they're like making like, lifetime movies but they don't they don't work on the infrastructure of the site like what it's crazy and it drives me crazy because it's like we're doing all this extra work and no one can find it it's unbelievable actually i don't know who runs that site we're gonna play a sizable chunk on the show tomorrow night that's the plan and then what it's gonna do is drive a lot of people to watch this on fox nation it's gonna be a great help to what we're doing over there on tv today I know, but I, we, we're doing our part. We're like working like animals to produce all this content, and the people in charge of it, whoever that guy's, whatever his name is, like they're ignoring the fact that the site doesn't work. And it, it's, I think it's like a betrayal of our efforts. That's how I feel. So I, of course, I resent it. So, hilariously, Media Matters thought this was going to make Tucker Carlson look terrible, and people were going to be aghast, aghast that he likes to look professional, and he wants to get his message out there. Makes me think I should maybe put on a tie one of these days. But nevertheless, it's one of those situations where he's right. Fox Nation's rudimentary at best. And nobody used it. The only reason people paid for that Fox online video access thing was because Tucker Carlson has long format interviews on it. That's the only reason people use the damn thing. And now that Fox is brilliant enough to fire him or let him go, whatever term you want it to use, no one's going to pay for that subscription service. I mean, he's right. Right now, YouTube is the best, most efficient platform. As long as you're not far right, then they, of course, they'll mute you or they'll censor you. So you're either off the platform or no one finds it. But for the average consumer and the average producer of content, the most efficient way to get your messages out there is YouTube. It has the largest fan base, the largest user base globally. And most importantly, it's stable in terms of the infrastructure. Google has more money than God, they have 
I mean, print money basically with their ad revenue. Now, they lost money for years building the infrastructure behind YouTube with countless server farms, data centers, data centers being a building dedicated just for having servers, which are basically computers and servers, storage, networking. They have all that. They've spent unprecedented amount of fiscal investment as well as expertise building it so that a YouTube video can be uploaded in minutes and it can be seen around the world and there might be one or two outages a year, maybe. It is unprecedentedly reliable and you have the audience. Rumble is going through an issue right now where they're growing very quickly. They are the best alternative to YouTube right now, but part of the growing pains is building out that infrastructure to handle the volume of users. If too many users go to Rumble right now, the site crashes because you have to have the back end logistics, the piping, rudimentary speaking, think of it as a house. You have to have the right pipes and the right receptacles for the pipes to go to for the whole thing to actually work. And Fox is not an IT company. They're a dying media company. They sold off Fox Studios, which made the movies, which many people would only know really for the X-Men since they bought that property years ago, I believe. Then they licensed it to Sony for a little bit. But so they sold off that division a little while back. And I don't see that Tucker just wanted to get his message out there. And he's just, as a, as a youth might say, keeping it real with this person. If anything, this might, this, if anything, ironically enough, this is just going to make, I think, more people like him because it shows how authentic he is. He wants to get his unique message out there and he wants it to be on a platform that's reliable and people also use. And again, Fox is a very late term adapter to the internet in terms of they were very reluctant to put anything on YouTube for quite some time. And they're still not, they still don't have a YouTube first initiative because they make their cash and a lot of their money from cable network. So I understand, but they also don't want to become Kodak in terms of Kodak used to dominate the industry. The man who invented it was a genius. He was the found, basically the person who developed the first affordable camera. They used to be the size of a Volkswagen, well, maybe not that big, but expensive, cumbersome, and he designed one that was economic, lightweight, and compact. Revolutionary idea. Now, they quickly built Kodak, Funnel Business Facts, so that they were a behemoth. They have more patents than anyone who came to the film technology, and at the point, at certain points, they would develop everything internally. So they sold the film, they would develop it. And they had a lot of proprietary technology in there. Now, one of the engineers at Kodak invented the digital camera. They patented it, they invented it. And the executives at Kodak realized, if we invent this digital camera, we mass produce it right now, the thing that makes us the most profit, the film, will completely just vanish. So they decided to shelve it. Until years later, they started to have mass market adaption and it quickly decimated the whole industry. And it wouldn't have changed, they still have a business or a, um, a commercial division for long, large format companies need really big high professional printings done. But if they were ahead of the curve and they actually invest in the digital camera, they could have, many speculate, they could have speculated and put in that technology, being an industry leader there, which did diminish partially because of the smartphone, but they could have also maybe adapted to the smartphone. There's a lot of what ifs, but the moral of the story is don't sit on your lulls, as some might say, and you have to constantly 
adapt and also just constantly innovate. Take the risk because if you are stagnant, in most times you're going to go out of business. It's just the nature of the beast. You have to always be improving your quality and coming out with new products, new ideas. Needless to say, wherever Tucker Carlson goes, he's going to be successful. Isn't it interestingly, everyone's speculating that people actually want to hear from Tucker Carlson. And the big question is, where is he? what news agency is going to go to or will he develop his own thing? Now, it's a hilarious, interesting contrast to Don Lemon, where a lot of people are speculating maybe he might teach at a university with Brian Stelter. Like, again, I don't think it's launched yet, but it would be a hilariously ironic and interesting. Granted, he's a millionaire. He'll never have to worry about money again. But if someone were to make a Kickstarter or Jumpstart, like, to try to help Don Lemon out and call it Lemon Aid, that would probably be, that'd be too funny to do. Someone should definitely, definitely don't do that. I, rec- I don't recommend that at all. Nevertheless, now, going on to the business blunder of the day, and it's a sad one. Tuesday morning is now going bankrupt now for good. So it's been a couple times, some say three times a charm. In this case, maybe three nails in the coffin, they're dead. Now, they actually first declared bankruptcy back in 2020. So that was the first time, and it was Chapter 11, restructuring. And they did a lot of leadership changes. They brought in the CEO from Bloomington's, the Coke factory. And they did bring a lot of top talent in who historically had a great track record of turning companies around. So there's a lot of folks thinking that things are going the right way and there's a lot of good future for them. But the issue is kind of like Pier 1. When you ask your friends, when's the last time you shopped there? And anecdotally speaking, you know, you might not have millions of friends, but from anecdotal experience, I never had a single person who had gone there in the past five years. It just continued to get worse and worse for them. And then in February 2023, so even a couple, couple months ago, they filed for Japler 11 again. So that was the second time in three years. And they're going to announce, you know, we're going to close more stores, but we're going to somehow become more profitable. And unfortunately, they just couldn't do it. So it is, there's a myriad of reasons why they went bankrupt and they'll no longer be with us. But just as a, as a sad business blunder of the day, a lot of good people are going to be out of work. And this is coming off of another retail bankruptcy, you know, Bed Bath Beyond, one of the most iconic ones. They're also declaring bankruptcy this time for good. So it is sad news, but hopefully all those good people will be able to find jobs in their employment as you have the ever-evolving ever economy with more jobs coming up in different industries, different segments, and different retailers as some flourish and some bite the dust, unfortunately. And ADHD question, or comment rather, if anyone has a Tuesday morning sign somehow, let me know and I'll buy it off you so I can put on the good old historic business blunders behind me, which are all the vintage business signs we have if you're just listening on the Audible. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to the podcast today. Cannot thank you enough. Every time you like and subscribe, comment, it helps the channel grow and develop, and it also helps me improve. Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone to stay safe and fight the good fight.